Jesus has now entered into Jerusalem and the chief priests and the elders of the people are coming to Jesus and confronting him. They've set themselves in opposition to him. Jesus has just cleansed the temple, turning out the money changers, saying that the temple should not be a den of thieves and the chief priests and tax collectors, excuse me, chief priests and elders of the people are not happy. So they come to him with all these questions. This is the first parable that Jesus gives in answer to the chief priests and the elders of the people. These leaders of the Jews, and indeed some of the Jews themselves who followed these leaders, considered themselves righteous. In contrast, they are not able to enter the kingdom because they have not accepted Jesus or even the fact that they need saving. They believe that they've already achieved righteousness in themselves. This parable today is not unlike the prodigal son. If you recall, the parable of the prodigal son is where the younger son asked for his inheritance, then left and squandered it all on terrible things, and came back to the father. And the father ran out to see him and received him back in through an incredible feast. And what happens is the older son comes out and says, Father, you did all this for this son who squandered half of your goods, and you've never given me anything. And he's standing outside the feast, and that's where the parable ends. We don't see the conclusion. We don't know if the father's words has convinced the older son to enter into this feast. The son in our parable today, who says, I will do it and does not, and the older son who has worked for the father and never leaves but is unwilling to enter this feast are the same representative people. Those two sons indicate the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, and the leaders of the people. They are the ones who received the law of Moses and all of the prophets, and yet they're not living in the life that God has called them to. They believe that they can achieve righteousness on their own. And like the older son in the story of the prodigal son, he misses the whole fact that he's living in the household of the father. The father says, everything I have is yours. And the son just sees his role as a list of tasks to be fulfilled. And he's resentful. He sees this life as drudgery. These... Pharisees and chief priests have in their minds made their Jewish religion a checklist, a drudgery, that if I fulfill these tasks, I'll be considered righteous. They've completely missed the fact that they're called to be sons and daughters in the heavenly kingdom. The whole point of the Christian life is not to cross off these lists of tasks that make us righteous. It's that we're already called to be sons and daughters and made so through baptism. And the whole point of the Christian life is to live this relationship with the Father in Jesus Christ. This parable is meant for those who have been righteous on their own and yet completely missed the relationship with God, the relationship with the Father. I think St. Paul puts it very well in his letter to the Romans. He says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, righteousness through faith. 
but that Israel who pursued the righteousness which is based on law did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it through faith, but as if it were based on works. They did not pursue it through faith, but as if it were based on works. St. Paul's commenting on the same difficulty that Jesus has created these parables for. There's two people, groups of people in the Roman community, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's commenting, these Gentiles are saved. And the Jews, through performing these acts of the law, are not being saved because they've missed the whole point. And St. Paul is trying to draw these Jewish people to live this life in Christ through faith, not by fulfilling a list of tasks, but through a relationship with the Father in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. And I love this word, faith. My favorite definition of faith was given by St. John Paul II in one of his encyclicals. He says, faith is constant contact with the mystery of God. This definition helps illumine the key question of our lives. There's two ways that we can go, two things we can orient our lives on, God or something else. Those are the only two paths. And faith being constant contact with the mystery of God helps us do a self-examination in order to see how are we living the Christian life. And I think one of the best ways to do this is to look, whenever we have a free moment, what do we do? Where do we turn? Do we take out our phones to check our messages or social media? Do we check the scores of our favorite team? Do we check the latest stock prices in our portfolio? Do we think about how to plan that perfect vacation? There are so many things that invade the space of our mind if we let them. And the simple truth is this. We are truly sons and daughters of God. And we are on the way of righteousness when in our free moments, in the quiet of our minds, our thoughts turn back to him in what we can do to serve him. It's a pretty daunting task when we realize it, how, how much time, how much space we fill with all of these other things. And here's a very mundane example. Just from my own life, I was going through some thoughts about some personal attachments, and there's way worse things. I have sins, and I have attachments that are between me and the Lord, and I know what those are, and I know that there's purification coming. Those things don't last. If I am to be in heaven one day, please God, that God will burn those attachments away. But in my reflection, I was thinking, there's so many moments when, okay, I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to make a cup of coffee and have some coffee, sit and just enjoy my coffee, and then I'll go pray. And it is true, coffee does help me pray, be more attentive, things like this. And yet I thought to myself, the fact that I'm turning to this thing before I'm turning to God in prayer shows that there's some disorder, there's some attachment. So I know that in the course of my life, I'm going to have to sometime go off coffee for a time so that I can enjoy it in moderation. It's not drawing my mind and my affections to pursue this thing before I place God there. 
I know it's a mundane example, but what a dumb reason to go to purgatory, provided I make it there, right? I had an attachment to coffee, and I wasn't willing to do the work in this life to put God first, and instead I'm attached to coffee. It'd be ridiculous. And yet that's the truth of the matter. Like I said, there's many other things in my life. Coffee is not my worst thing. And yet it is, it is one of those attachments. So what are some things that we can do concretely to help live this faith, this relationship with Christ, to not reduce the faith in our religion to a list of tasks to try to achieve our own righteousness, which is impossible? I recommend this. Look in your day and see when your most productive times are, the time when you work best and you think most clearly. Is it right when you wake up? Is it right when you get to work and you're ready to do everything? Is it at three o'clock? Is it just before dinner? Is it just after dinner? Are you a night owl? Whatever it may be, identify that time and take five minutes and give that to the Lord. Read scripture for five minutes or say a decade or two of the rosary. Sacrifice that most precious time in your day where you're thinking most clearly, where you do your best work and offer that as a gift to the Lord. Slay whatever idols you have and give that as a sacrifice to God. When we do that simple little thing of taking our best five minutes in the day and giving it to God, it's amazing what he's able to do to help transform our life. And when you have those free moments, when you're taking out your phone or whatever you're doing to distract yourself, offer a Hail Mary. Before I do anything, I'm going to turn to the Lord and then I'll go back to check these other things. Simple things like this can help us live this relationship so truly God can transform our hearts so that at every moment we're yearning for him and truly living this great idea of righteousness through faith. May we come to the end of our days and perhaps the greatest epitaph that could be placed on our tombstone is this definition from John Paul II. This was a son and daughter or daughter of God. This person lived righteousness by faith. This person was in constant contact with the mystery of God.